Welcome to Postscript. My name is Dave Severns. I'm the worship pastor here at Compass Point Bible Church, and today with me is Paul Eastwood. How's it going? It's going well. How are you, Paul? I'm doing good. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what we jumped into this Sunday, our new series? Oh, man. Yeah, do I ever. So we started into the book of Ecclesiastes, yes. and Ecclesiastes is a is a powerful book, but it's a it can be a confusing book at times. There's lots of different ideas about, you know, what's the main point? And some people have even asked the question, you know, why is it even in our Bibles? Hmm. You know, like we are not used to hearing the honest voices, you know, sometimes and Ecclesiastes really is an honest voice. It's identifying that sometimes things don't go the way that you want them to go. Yeah. You know, it's like sometimes you you follow God, you do the right things, you um and and they just things just don't turn out and hmm. and that's that is something that I think we all have to wrestle with as we grow in our faith and as we as we continue to experience life. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I I mean, I'm this is going to be fascinating. It's going to be so much fun getting into this book. Yeah. Do you want to? You talked a little bit about on Sunday about um, Ecclesiastes as part of a group of literature in the Bible called the Wisdom Literature, right? Uh, and how it kind of lines up with with Proverbs and other things. Do you want to just give us a little reminder of that? Yeah. So the Wisdom Literature includes um, uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. It also includes Job. It includes Song of Solomon, and mm -hmm. it also includes parts of the Psalms. Mm -hmm. So, so some of the Psalms are written in the wisdom, in the sort of the wisdom literature format. Um, but for the most part, the ones that we talk about the most are Ecclesiastes, and then um, and Proverbs and Job, those three books, and and they all play off each other in some really interesting ways. And the Bible Project has a really great resource if you want to know a little bit more about, you know, sort of where some of these ideas were coming from. Uh, the Bible Project describes these three as sort of a, a, a they basically all need to go together. Hmm. And so Proverbs is the the idealistic wisdom from of old. It's the wisdom through the ages. It's it's sayings that have been passed along, and we know they're true because they're old, yep. right? And that's where you hear these things about, you know, train a child in the way they should go. And, and as they grow up, they won't depart from it. And all of these, you know, very good things that we need to hear. Ecclesiastes comes in and and it's it's different because it is wisdom that comes through experience. Hmm. We know it's true because we've felt it. We hmm. know it's true because we've been there and I've 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 experienced it. And so what we know is that sometimes we do our best to train our kids and we teach them about Jesus and we you know tell them the stories and we try to be the best example that we can in our life and then things happen in their lives and they walk away or they uh, have big questions that can't be answered. And we look back at the Proverbs and we say, but but you said that if I do the right thing, then the good things will happen. Hmm. And Ecclesiastes tells us sometimes that doesn't. Yeah. And so, that's okay. That's yeah. the big part too. So, I mean, uh, you know, just to put it in slightly different terms here, Proverbs is a bit like wonderful sayings we put up uh, on our walls, just kind of great yep. reminders of these truths. And the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of like sitting down with a slightly cynical grandparent, maybe maybe with our parent who shows up at the beginning and the end just to remind us of what's going on, right? Yeah. So we've got this this narrator in Ecclesiastes to to help us understand what the teacher, Koheleth, yep. is saying. Um, yep. And it, yeah, it's, it's wisdom from experience, and it's not always pretty or easy, is it? No, exactly. And one of the things I find so fascinating is that the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes actually describes the, the wisdom from the teacher 
as a prod, which is an instrument that shepherds use to get their sheep to go the way they wanted to. And sometimes they would sharpen it. And I talked about this on Sunday. So essentially what we're looking at in Ecclesiastes is a sharp pointy stick that that bothers us. It like, it bugs us because it keeps poking at things. And it's like, yeah, but remember what happened last week? You know, like I know the Bible says this, but remember what's happened in your life. So you got to square these up somehow. And that's what I love about it. I think some, I, what, the way I described Ecclesiastes was like a splash of cold water in your face that mm-hmm. reminds you, number one, you're not alone. Number two, that there's room for faith even in the midst of this dissatisfaction and this disappointment. So well, let me ask, Paul, why are we doing Ecclesiastes right now? If it's a hard book, right. if it's a little different, why are we here? So I, I, I described this whole thing with with um, a, a movie called Inside Out. and um, But I think there's something powerful when we allow our doubts and our disappointments to kind of reach into our thinking and sort of touch our thoughts in a way yeah. because it refines them. It, it, huh. it makes, it makes it, Ecclesiastes moves us past the easy answers that we often give in church. It moves us past the pat answers it puts us in a place of humility and it reminds us that when we interact with other people to not just simply say, oh yeah, but you know, everything would be better if you just trust Jesus or if you just do this, then everything will be better. Or, And we, we try to reduce things so simplistically for people. And what Ecclesiastes reminds us of is that life is hard and it's difficult and it doesn't always make sense. And even in the midst of that, you can still trust in a God who is faithful and in control. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm really excited. I again I love this book and you and I have been talking about this one for a while. Um so we like how how does this book break itself up? What is it like right. how do we even read this book well? What you, you gave us a suggestion on Sunday and you said, you know, don't just try to take it chunk by chunk. And even the way you preach, you didn't you didn't just take one passage. You kind of preached the whole thing. Yep. And you encouraged us to sit down and read all 12 chapters of it in one go. Why would that be a good thing for this book? Yeah, be, because I think there's something about the totality. So, I mean, you can look at a, at a passage in Ecclesiastes and say, look, you know, it says that about money. Well, you can't take it with you. Um, you know, people are going to exploit people. And money is, is not going to give you satisfaction. And so you could do a whole message on money and how it doesn't bring you satisfaction. But what Ecclesiastes does is it broadens the circle and it, it actually points to the fact that there is nothing that you can pursue apart from God that is going to bring you fulfillment, uh, make you feel fulfilled and, hmm. and happy. And, and, and so things like wealth and pleasure and, and status and careers and, and I think it's important to see all of them together and see how none of them leads us to a place of fulfillment and yeah. happiness. And, and I think, so, you know, yes, I think, I think you could break it down a little bit, but I think seeing the bigger picture as a whole actually gives us a better picture of what's going on. And I think when you look at the big picture as a whole, you can start to see some of the different, um, the way the Bible, the, this book, sorry, is actually written. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we can talk a little bit, I think we'll get into the, the yeah. Carpe Diem passages, these passages of, but, but. You know though that so you can see that bigger picture yeah but but I think one of the ways we need to start looking at this book is is understanding this word Havel yeah I was gonna say if, if you know yeah. the book of Ecclesiastes that's, by one verse it's meaningless meaningless everything is meaningless right, right? we all that's, know it by that so so that word the word we translate as meaningless in the NIV and a couple other translations is the Hebrew Hevel yeah and you suggested that it there's some other meanings in and around that that might 
might help us beyond just the English word meaninglessness. Yes. What 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 other words kind of go into? Yeah. That? So it's a bit more complicated. I, and I it's funny. I, I heard after the service on Sunday that people were saying, "Oh, well, you know, if I had known that it wasn't meaningless, then you know that changes everything." And it, and I was thinking, okay, let let me just clarify here for a second. I'm not smarter than the people who have written the NIV and you know made a decision about using the word meaningless. There is some valid. There are some valid reasons for using the word meaningless. Um, uh, but I think it doesn't get at everything. And, and I would say mm. it's an interpretation that I don't think is a very good one, is a very strong one. Now, I'm not sure what I would use instead. You know, the message actually yeah. uses the word smoke, yeah. um, which is closer to what Hevel actually means. Hevel really does mean um, either smoke or vapor. Um, and, and the idea of it, there's two main points to that that you see throughout the book, you'll actually see Hevel being used slightly different ways. Sometimes it's talking about the idea of its temporariness, the fact that it's just there and then it's gone, like a breath of you know hot air in, the, in a cold day um, in the winter. Uh, the second thing is that it's more of like an enigma or it's, um, it seems solid, but when you get up close, it's just, there's nothing there. And that's why meaningless is a word that's often used. In fact, Hevel was used to describe idols, like the old school idol that would you know sit in your home that was in a wooden structure. And the idea was that it looks like there's something to it. You could go and touch it, mm-hmm. but you realize there's nothing there. There's nothing in it. There's no, there's, there's, there's nothing behind it. Mm-hmm. And that's why this idea of Hevel is used to describe that because it's, it's like vapor. It's just like smoke. And in that sense, meaningless kind of makes sense, um, but it doesn't get at everything. And so when you translate it in one way all the way through the book, um, you end up getting, it gets a little bit confusing, I think, at times. Yeah. Because I don't think the author is saying that everything in the world, like there's no meaning. It's all yeah. meaningless. Yeah. I just think he's saying that meaning is so difficult to find and hold on to. Yeah. Well, and that's what's important. And to me, it also is, um, it's a reminder that these these things like, um, you know, health and family and money and possessions even, all of these things uh if I put my meaning in them, if I give them the place of ultimate authority in my life, they're going to fail me. Yeah. Um, so in that way, they're meaningless. It is. They're, they're meaningless. It's not that they're entirely bad. Right. It's that they're bad as as ultimate things. Right. They're. Yeah. I can't worship these yeah. things, or else I'll find meaninglessness. Yeah. Um, and That's I think he's, he's getting at that with, which I think. In English, we hear meaninglessness and we think, oh, everything is bad. We should avoid all of the things. And that's actually not what the author of this book is on about. So no. you, you mentioned earlier these carpe diem passages. Right. Um, what are they? And unpack that a little more. Why Why carpe diem? What does it mean? So the carpe diem um, passages are really these moments in the book of Ecclesiastes where the author seems to sit back and say, you know what? Uh, since none of this, you can't find meaning in this or that or anything else, Mm -hmm. then just relax, you know, have a good meal, grab a coffee with a friend, be satisfied with your work. He talks about this over and over again, you know, eat, drink, and enjoy your work while you can. And he keeps coming back to this. Um, Chapter 224, 312, uh, you know, 518, it just kind of goes through uh, Mm -hmm. throughout the book. And, and so each of these passages, people are, have, have looked at them in different ways and they've said, well, wait a second. So what's in those passages? Is, is it just a, a fatalistic view of like, you know what? You can't do anything anyway. So just throw up your hands and just sit back and enjoy the day you've got. Cause that's all you have. Right. Yeah. 
I don't think that's true because when you look at those passages, every time they are loaded with God language. Hmm. And it's almost as if the God language for the most part in Ecclesiastes really focuses on on those ideas of enjoying what we have in the moment. Hmm. It's almost like, you know, he'll go through this explanation about, say, money and how it can't provide the happiness that you're looking for. doesn't mention God very much. And then at the end, it says, so what I've learned is this, you know, God, 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 God. And it's it's saturated so to me, it's very clear that this this becomes the point in many ways of, of, of how we can interpret this book. God has given us so much. Everything is a gift and all these kind of things. And so that's where we begin to to really unpack that idea. And so I talked about those those ideas that, you know, that every day is a gift and that yeah. um, everything that we everything that we have is a gift and even more than that, the ability to enjoy them is a gift, mm. which I think is something that really grabs our our attention. Yeah. Um, but this idea of carpe diem is yeah. a really fascinating one. Yeah, so like I, I hear carpe diem and I think seize the day. This yeah. is the, the common uh, Latin Latin phrase probably most people know. Yeah. And it just means seize the day. Go out and grab it and get what you need out of it. Is, yeah. that, is that fair? Yeah, so I mean, I, it seems to me that carpe diem, and, and I've, as I was reading through this week, that um, carpe diem is probably one of the most misinterpreted uh, ideas or you know phrases um, in history, and really, and, and just to be fair for a minute, yeah, the Book of Ecclesiastes was written in Hebrew, not Latin. So right. this is a this is a label that biblical scholars yes. have given this. Nowhere in Ecclesiastes does it say carpe diem. No, but but it's a good it's a good starting point. Good. So back to what yeah. you were saying. Carpe diem comes from a poem um, that was was made popular by the Dead Poets Society when they talked about this idea of, you know, gather ye rosebuds while ye may. And mm-hmm. there's this yep. kind of this moment where everybody stands on the desk and they talk about this idea of seizing the day. Yeah. What it has come to, to be to represent in here in North America is this idea that we have to aggressively go after the day and take every everything out of it that we can. Take advantage of every moment because when you when you do that, you can make a life for yourself. You can be in control. Mm-hmm. And but that's not what Carpe Diem was was really about. Carpe Diem is 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 better translated pluck the day. And this idea of plucking is actually not as aggressively sort of trying to take over control. It's about, it's a more passive way to experience the day. It's, it's a, it's a, it's this idea of just, just, um, just allow the day to be the day, you know? So mm-hmm. one of the, one of the ways I talked about this, I, I talked about the idea of enjoyment in our lives only comes when we acknowledge our lack of control. I believe that to be true. Yeah. I also believe that enjoyment comes in our life when we actually experience life as it is hmm. in the moment, not what we want it to be, not what we expected it to be, not what we wish it would be, but enjoyment comes when we actually experience life as it exists for hmm. us. And so this idea of carpe diem is is not so much an aggressively go after the day because you can get something out of it. It is a um, take that day, uh, every day that you have um, with with an intensity that is um, that is really based on this idea of just enjoying the gift. Yeah. rather than trying to get something out of it. Yeah, to, to me, it, it goes back to one of these, again, these key things that we maybe have twisted a little bit in, in our Western industrialized Christianity. Um, back to the beginning of the Bible where, where God creates Adam and Eve, and one of the things that he calls all people to do is to have dominion. 
Um, right. And and the dominion is this word that we we often interpret with almost a violence to it, almost an, an aggressiveness. And actually what God is calling us to do, again, the Hebrew there points to this idea of gardening and caring for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's more of an act of being present and being aware and making making the best of what's in front of you. Doesn't mean, you know, you're still involved, you're you're working with what you have, but you're not like it's it's not as much about control as we often think. Right. Um, it's more about presence and graciously entering into that presence and, and doing something with it. Yeah. And the more we go after control, um, the more disappointing life mm-hmm. can be. Yeah. Uh, when we try to figure it all out and answer every question and solve every, you know, and, you know, logically it, uh, uh, approach life in a way where we expect everything just to kind of come the way that it should. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be very disappointing and discouraging. So this lack of control is an is actually a very comforting place to be. I, I remember having a conversation with a um, a friend of mine, and you know he is probably would describe himself a deist. He he believes in God, but doesn't really have an idea that God has any relationship with us. And yeah. so we kind of went back and forth and talked about what is life, what's the purpose of life, and and I talked about the idea of a purpose of life as you know glorifying God and and living my life in this way. Mm-hmm. And and he was kind of had this idea that like you know, giving your life over to the control of the, you know, Holy Spirit is the, is the most ridiculous thing that you could possibly do. And hmm. cause he's thinking to himself like, what the heck, why would you give over control in your life to someone that you can't see or, you know, um, uh, you can't perceive in, a, in any kind of like, you know, you know, tangible, logical, scientific way kind of mm-hmm. thing. And, and it, it was so, it was an interesting conversation because, and, and maybe there's partly personality involved with that as well, but, sure. but I think that there's something that is inside of all of us that wants to grab control. And mm-hmm. we feel like if we can get control over our lives, over our health, over all of this different stuff, then we'll be happy. And Ecclesiastes tells you, you can't get control over those things because it's Havel. It yeah. is a vapor. It's a mist you won't be able to grab onto it. Yeah. And so that's where, where God comes in. And I, I would say, I mean, in my mind, Burlington is actually a, a great place to be talking about this book and this this lack of control that's encouraged. Um, yeah. Because we're, we're pretty good at controlling things here, right? Like we we have a lot. We're, don't get me wrong. I'm deeply thankful for what we have. Um, but but we're good at kind of getting what we want. Uh, and as I've as I've known this is this book has been coming up, I've been having conversations with some people in my life mm-hmm. who are part of this church who who actually probably better understand than me that they aren't in control. Mm-hmm. People who are dealing with medical things or life circumstances that certainly aren't of their choosing um, and and have like have happened to them and and maybe are wrestling with God a bit, but also I think they probably they understand that you know all you can do is be present. All yep. you can do is is to appreciate the moments and the gifts that you have um, and allow God to be God, even when it's confusing, even when it's hard. So it, it's such a good word. Yeah, let, let, and, and let me take that a step further because it's not just about, um, you know, like you said, you're right. You're absolutely right that it's, you know, about in, in being present in the moment and that's that's what we have. But there's something about finding joy in that that I think is what the book of Ecclesiastes gets at. In the very end of the book, in chapter 11, he says this this, this little um, statement. He says, you who are young, be happy with, with while you are young, mm-hmm. and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see, 
but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Hmm. And so there's this idea of judgment. And, and the ancient way of understanding this passage is that the judgment is not that you would chase after things that you shouldn't chase after. The judgment is not enjoying the moments the way that we should. Hmm. And so, so what I'm trying to get at is that in, in this idea of enjoying the moment is not just about, you know, uh, a simplicity of life and just, you know, being, being happy and, and content in the moment. It's actually a command from God. When we don't do it well, there's a judgment attached to it. Hmm. Because when we do it well, it's about trusting God, right? It's about recognizing that is enough is enough. It's about recognizing I don't need another day because I've got enough. God's already given me exactly what I need. It's all those kind of things. And so there's this really powerful idea of like, not only do we need to enjoy the moment, we'll be judged if we don't. Hmm. That's powerful. Oh, it's so and convicting. Uh, I mean, this For ties sure. it, ties it back to we we were talking in the habit series about rest and this idea of of taking a day. We, my wife and I, this last week, um, were trying to practice Sabbath better, and we did it on Saturday, and it was so hard. Our house was messy. There were things that we both desperately wanted to do, and and yet we're we're trying to lean into this this idea that. God has given us enough, and enough includes a day of rest, a day yep. to be present with our families, a day to to just seize the day, right? To seize the moments in front of us um, and to recognize that maybe chasing after all the things I need to do is meaningless. Yeah. Um, oh, but it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> uh, anything else, Paul, as we're, you know, we're, we're just getting into this book. It's not going to be a long series, but we're going to keep, keep talking about this. Anything else you want to give us as we dive in and maybe just a reminder, if you haven't yet, sit down and read through this book at some point in the next week, just in one sitting, take in the whole book. Yeah. Yeah. I would say definitely do that um, and start there. And I would certainly say if you have some questions or ideas, please send them along as we've always uh, shared. That is helpful for us. It helps us, you know, shape what we're going to talk about, but also it, it, um, it can be something that can begin a really good conversation. Mm -hmm. But I would say that, um, you know, if you are having a really hard time today finding enjoyment in your life, um, if this sort of picked at a scab for you that, you know, maybe opened up something that you're afraid of and is a little bit worrisome as you kind of move into it, yeah. uh, doubting the goodness of God is not something that we talk about in the church very often. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is that it is entirely appropriate to explore those feelings and to allow those thoughts to, to, um, you know, to help shape our thinking. But I would say that it is really, it's, it's a, it's a scary thing to do on your own. Mm -hmm. And I would just suggest that you don't do it on your own. Um, that you would have conversations with people that you trust that will, uh, help guide the thinking and the discussion. It, it will make your faith stronger when you open yourself up to these ideas, but when you do it on your loan, on your own, it can be a pretty scary place to be. And so I would say, you know, every attempt to find enjoyment apart from God is going to get us stuck. Hmm. And, and just the reminder that he gives us every day, he gives us what we have, and he gives us the ability to enjoy it. And so I would say to you, I know it's not easy. I'm not trying to make light of any of what you might be going through, but I would say that God gives us the ability to enjoy what's in front of us. And so um, take some steps today that will help you uh, start going down that road and finding that enjoyment. Awesome. 
Thanks, Paul. Uh, thank you for listening along, and we will be back soon with more Postscript. Mm-hmm.